2 Corinthians 12.10 says, When I am weak, then I am strong. That's a, that's a hard truth for us to accept uh, in both directions. Um, we, we tend to think you know, that uh, uh, success or, or failure depends. Uh, we're talking about God's work, serving in his kingdom, serving, uh, serving his, his ways. We tend to think of, of that resting in our own strength, our own power, our own, our own ability. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we also tend to think that, uh, and we fall into this mindset, of course we know that it isn't true, but we fall into the mindset of thinking that uh, when I don't do as good as someone else, or maybe I don't possess the same abilities, or I, I don't have the same circle of influence, or I don't have a ministry that another has, or a, an area of service that another has, uh, we, we tend to think that, you know, well, well, I'm just not that important. God's not really using me. What we're going to see in Zechariah chapter 4 is the principle that that God uses what, what we think. What we think is uh, the small things, the, the things that are, uh, you know, not, uh, not grandiose and great by design, but, you know, uh, the, the simple preacher who preaches in a congregation of uh, of 30 people uh for 30 years uh it, we have a tendency to think well maybe that's not such an important ministry as the guy who's you know whatever he's on tv with millions of people watching him whatever but the reality is that god is using uh both the same assuming that the guy on tv is actually a gospel preacher uh god is using both to uh, to grow his kingdom. Um, in Zechariah chapter 4, we're going to see this principle. The, the first two chapters of Zechariah primarily focused on, on Jerusalem and the people of God. Uh, they Those chapters showed us the, the promises God has made to his people and, and how those promises are surely going to be accomplished. And then, then we saw in chapter 3 that uh, we looked at one of the leaders of the people who are actively uh, involved in rebuilding the city and remaking the people and 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 that was uh, that was Joshua, the high priest. Uh, he was cleansed by God's righteousness, and and that's one of my favorite uh, chapters in the Bible. It's just an utterly beautiful passage, uh, um, forecasting and foretelling the the redemption that God would bring uh, through Christ. Um, and here in chapter four, Zechariah's prophecy is going to focus on the other. Uh, the other leader that is uh, amongst God's people as they're rebuilding the city, his name's Zerubbabel. And uh, uh, he was, you remember we talked about him in the previous sections, uh, he was the, the governor, the leader uh, of the Jewish people, uh, as close as they had to a, a king, so to speak. He wasn't a king, but as close as they had as their leader as they were, as they were returning to the, to the land and rebuilding God's temple and God's city. But Zerubbabel kept running into problems. Obstacles kept getting in the way and, you know, trying to stop him from completing the task. He was tasked with building the temple and, uh, and, and remaking the people of God, so to speak. And so he was rebuilding the temple, but, you know, uh, things just kept getting in the way. People kept, kept, uh, trying to stop him from doing that. The people on the inside, the people he was leading were getting downcast and they were turning selfish and wanting to build their own houses. And of course we saw in the prophet Haggai that he was telling them, you know, he exhorted them to, to leave off building their own house and continue building the house of God. 
Um, the, the, they were, they were focusing on their own needs and doing those things. And so you got that from inside that people losing heart and, 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 you know, uh, and doing whatever they want to do. And then on the outside, you got people coming in trying to stop them from building the city. And, and you can see that, uh, you can see it clearly in Nehemiah when he, when he finally returns and starts building the wall, um, People try to stop him, you know, they're writing letters to the king and trying to get him, you know, trying to get him to quit. And so there's all kind of obstacles going on inside and outside. And we, too, have obstacles that are, you know, in our life from the inter- inside, our own flesh and, and from outside as well. And uh, and so uh, this is the the people I can see the people beginning to lose heart. And, and you can see that in Haggai as well. The elders would look at the temple that they were building and they would cry saying this temple would never be the never reach the former glory that it once had and begin to lose heart and that's one of the reasons why Zechariah was sent to prophesy to the people. Uh here Zechariah is given it's a very confusing vision. Uh it's confusing for us for sure, but but he doesn't even understand what he's seeing. Um first we see the the same angel that we've seen uh rouse him from his sleep and, and it shows him it shows him something very unusual. Uh, it says in verses 1 through 3, it says, Then the angel who was speaking with me returned and roused me as a man who is awakened from his sleep. He said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see, uh, and behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with its bowl on top of it, and its seven lamps on it with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on top of it. Also, two olive trees by it on the right side of the bowl and on other on its left. So before we even attempt to to talk about what he's seeing, and Zechariah is going to say, "Hey, I don't I don't have a clue what this means," and the angel is going to interpret it for him. So we'll save off that interpretation for to read what the what the, the angel actually says it is. But for right now, just try to picture the scene as best we can. It's it's hard for a modern person to get a hold of what Zechariah is seeing. Uh, of course, he doesn't even understand what he's seeing, and, and the angel explains it to him. But first, he sees what we know as a menorah. You know, when you hear it, it's a it's a lampstand, but it has seven candle holders, for lack of a better term, to on the top. It's a, it's a, the Jewish menorah. He sees, uh, you know, you've probably seen the image before. It's distinctively Jewish. It's it's uh, pretty much everywhere that uh, Jewish things are, are, are had. But it said we usually see pictures of the menorah around Hanukkah and that kind of stuff. But there's something strange about this menorah. Uh, it has seven lamps on the top, and, you know, those lamps uh, are being fed oil from a bowl with seven spouts. So you have a menorah that is burning oil which is you know lamps on the top that's not unusual but these lamps are being fed oil from a bowl that's off to the side or above it with seven spouts coming down so think about this now you have a you have one lampstand touching the ground the lampstand's coming up then it sprouts off into seven uh lamps seven candle holders however you want to say it uh, seven seven lamps, and then above those seven lamps, there are seven spouts that go up into one bowl. So at the top you have one bowl, at the bottom you have one uh, lampstand, and then 
on between the the top bowl and the bottom lampstand, you have seven lampstand. You have seven. I'm getting myself confused now. You have seven lamps coming out of the seven the lampstand, and then you have seven spouts coming out of the bowl from the top. So the lamps are burning, but the only thing that's fueling their fire is the oil that is fed from the seven spouts that comes from the bowl. I hope you get the picture. This is radio, not television. Therefore, I can't I can't show you exactly what it looks like. But Zechariah also sees two olive trees feeding the oil into the bowl. So, okay, you have all this going on. The the lamps the lamp is burning. Uh, all these uh, lamps are burning on top of the lamp stand, and it's being fed oil. And then you have two olive trees pouring the oil into the bowl, which is feeding the lamps. Okay. Wow, that's a whole lot. That's a mouthful. But Zechariah, um, uh, what, what, what we have here is two olive trees feeding the oil into the bowl, and the bowl is feeding the oil into the seven lamps that sit on top of the lampstand. Uh, that is, that's an utterly confusing thing even to say, much less to try to picture in your mind. Um, and unless there's a divine interpretation, Zechariah himself don't understand. Uh, verses 4 and 5 uh, Zechariah says, Then I said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my lord? So the angel who was speaking with me answered, He said, Do you not know what these are? And, he, and I said, No, my lord. So Zechariah doesn't even understand what he's seeing. Uh, God gives him this vision, and he doesn't have a clue what it means. Uh, but uh, the angel knows exactly what it means, and he, he'll, he'll explain it to Zechariah. Um, uh, and, and that's a perfect picture for us before we even get into God's word. God brings his word to man, but but man cannot comprehend the spiritual things uh, of God's word without the illumination of the spirit of God himself. Uh, God himself enlightens the believer to understand his message and, and his will. And we're absolutely foolish when we think that we can understand um divine revelation without the Holy Spirit guiding our hearts and applying that truth that, that God shows us. Uh, a lot of folks don't understand that today. You know, it's easy to to repeatedly, you know, there's one segment of people that are, are just, they're lost without Christ and that don't have the Spirit of God. And they read the Bible and it's, you know, it's interesting. It's, you know, they may even, you know, on a surface level, think that it's God's word, but it, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't change them. It doesn't mold them. It doesn't renew them. It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't like that spark within them. I. I speak from experience. For I was one. You know, before I was converted, uh, two thousand three. You know, I studied the Bible for for three years. You know, I was a very you know religious person for three years before. I ever, you know, before God ever saved me. And so I studied the Bible. I'm talking about every day, hours a day. And I knew all kind of facts. I could tell you all kind of things that most people didn't even know about Scripture. But that's all it was. It was just knowledge. It was just facts and information. It was just history. Uh, it, it was the first day that after I was I, I was saved on a Thursday. That Friday, I went to the work the next day, and uh, on my on my lunch break, I sat you know in the same place that I'd always sat. I was reading out of the same Bible that I was always reading out of. I had <clears throat> notes and notebooks and the same things that I've always done. 
Uh, but it was that day, the day after I was born again, that God actually spoke to me through what I was reading. And it was uh, it was amazing. You know, God didn't say, hey, I want you to be a preacher or I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. He just said it was just like he said, it sounds kind of dumb, but he, it was like he said, hey, you know, I'm here. I've always been here. And, you know, I love you and I'm glad you could join me. You know, hey, I didn't hear no audible voice or nothing like this. So don't don't take that and run with it. But <clears throat> he spoke to me for the first time after the Holy Spirit entered me, and it, it was like the deep calling to the deep. Um, uh, but but there's other ways, <clears throat> even as believers, we, we don't understand or, or we don't see things this way. It's, it's easy for us as believers to repeatedly read the Bible and skim through passages we think we've read a thousand times. I still I still catch myself doing that today. You know, I read a text that I'm I'm very familiar with, and instead of praying and studying to have God speak to me through the text, I just zip over it, thinking, "Hey, I've I already know what this is saying. I've already been through this," and and so we can't do that either. But the angel comes and he gives the interpretation of the vision. Now, the point of the vision is that God will accomplish His will, and He will use the work of His people to do it. <clears throat> I'm going to let the angel interpret the vision for you, but you can start to get a glimpse of of this through, you know, God is is pouring, is giving by the Holy Spirit the oil that causes the lamps to burn and the olive trees are the, or we're going to see later on that the olive trees are the two men, Joshua and Zerubbabel, who are, who are leading the people to rebuild the city. But if God is, if God will accomplish his will and he will use the work of people to do it, his people to do it, if that's a true statement, and it, it most certainly is, then we should never get weary in our well-doing. Like it says in Galatians, even if our task seems small, uh, so many people want huge ministries and notoriety and are, they're disappointed when they're given, you know, an obscure ministry of discipling others or uh, they don't have this, the kind of influence they want or they want to do something great that's going to change the world when when God is already changing the world through his body and we're just a small part of that that's going on. Um, it's a very arrogant mindset to to say I want I want more notoriety and I want more uh, influence and I want you know I want to be whatever I, I don't want this tiny little act of service that God has given me to do and although I have to admit that I have fallen prey to that before um, it, it's uh, it's it's sin is what it is and so let's look at the interpretation of the vision and see how it applies. <clears throat> God works mightily in in what seems to us like insignificant things. Whatever that you whatever you're doing as a believer is your service to God. He's called you to pray. He's called you to, you know, to help this guy down the road or whatever. Those are things. Those are stones in the temple that God is building. Those are those are pieces of the kingdom God is putting together. Uh, first, the angel assures Zechariah that God will his will will come to pass. And it won't be by strength or power. It won't be by the might of the great Zerubbabel. Uh, I'm sure Zerubbabel was getting discouraged because of all the obstacles that were coming into his path. He was doing God's work and rebuilding the temple, doing what God had called him to do. 
but everything from the inside and the outside was hindering him. It was one hindrance after another, one obstacle after another. It just seemed like always something getting in the way. Uh, it looked like, in his mind, I could see where he would think that it looked like it wasn't he wasn't doing any good. But you know, it, 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 he probably thought, well, you know, I'm not. I'm simply just not strong enough to do what God has called me to do. Uh, the first thing the angel says in the, inter- in the interpretation of the vision is that God himself will accomplish the task. Look at verse 6. It says, <clears throat> Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. This is what the angel's telling Zechariah that the Lord has a message for Zerubbabel, this guy who's in charge of building the temple and rebuilding the people of God. He says, I have a message for him. And this is the message saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Uh, what a Man, what a re- reassuring message for Zerubbabel. Uh, God's work in rebuilding the temple will most certainly be accomplished. It doesn't depend on how strong Zerubbabel is or, or how much political or military power he commands. The completion of the temple will be accomplished, and that was the task that was given to him. Uh, that's not the task given to us today. Uh, but it, it'll be accomplished by the Spirit of God working through their efforts. Today, Christians are called to build the house of God. That's that's no doubt. It, in a sense, we we are ourselves are the house of God, and we're called to edify one another, to build each other up. Uh, likewise, the whole church is being built up uh, by you know us as living stones. We are living stones being built up into the church of God, the house of God. Uh, and this isn't just the job of the pastor or the church leaders. Uh, fortunately, a lot of people, you know, they, they think this way. They, they have a, uh, an unhealthy view of the, the pulpit and the pew. They think that uh, the pastor's called to do all this ministry stuff, and I'm just called to, to, to give my funds and give my attendance and let him do all the work. Uh, that's not what Christ called us to do. Christ called us, the disciples, to make disciples of all nations. He didn't just call us to to sit in the pews and do nothing. Um, but we're kind of fooling ourselves if we if we can't admit that sometimes it it just doesn't seem like we're doing any good. Sometimes it seems like there are just too many obstacles, and every time we take a step forward, it seems like we take two steps back. Uh, there's always something to hinder us, and there's always hindrances inside us uh, that you know make us afraid, depressed, skeptical about our particular service to God, and and whether it's even having an effect. And there's hindrances on the outside. It's easy to get down and think that that we aren't doing anything that's contributing because all of our efforts are met with resistance. But that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. Zerubbabel probably felt like this. You know, he probably felt like, you know, what am I even doing here? This is not this is not working out like I thought. This is difficult. There's obstacles coming at me. As soon as I overcome one, here's another and smacking me right in the face. And so God was giving him this encouraging word. It's not by your strength and it's not by your power that the task before you is going to be accomplished. It's by my spirit that it's finished. Now the first part of verse seven says, "What are you, O great mountain, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain." God says that the every that every obstacle, even the mountain itself, will be thrown down to the ground and made flat before Zerubbabel. No obstacle can stand in the way of God's people as they go about God's work, trusting in the power, uh, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 
Um, we have a tendency to make a big deal out of obstacles, don't we? Uh, we? Instead of focusing on the power and promises of God, we tend to focus on the dire circumstances that are hindering us from being successful in work, uh, the, in God's work specifically. The task is just too big. The job is too great. We're too weak to finish it. Uh, we aren't strong enough to make it through. Uh, You've you got a whole host of excuses there that we use uh, can you possibly imagine what Zerubbabel was thinking? I mean, it it, it seemed like he would never succeed. Uh, the the opposition to to his project was it was just too great. Even the people themselves who were doing the work were doubting and sometimes turning against him. How could he be strong enough to defeat the enemies and also great enough to encourage the people to continue the work? He was like the guy spinning the plates on top of those long poles. You know, every time, every time he got a few of them spinning, it seemed like another plate was about to fall, and he was scurrying back and forth trying to keep everything moving. Uh, I, I know I've felt like that before, and I, I'm pretty sure that you have if you're involved in God's work in, in any way, shape, or form. And if you are a believer, then you are involved in God's work. Uh, you definitely should be. Um, the second part of verse seven says. And he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Now, God tells Zechariah to announce to Zerubbabel that Zerubbabel would indeed put the top stone on the temple. That means what he says, he'll bring forth the top stone, means that he'll, he'll put the last stone in place. He will finish the task that God has given him. God's given us the same promise. He says that we are to go and make disciples and he will be with us even to the end of the age. Uh, the gates of hell won't prevail against his church. God's spirit will accomplish the rebuilding of uh, Zerubbabel's temple no matter what obstacle gets in the way. And, uh, and God's spirit will accomplish the promises that he has given his people for the work that they are supposed to do. But, but knowing God's perfect promises will ultimately be fulfilled and nothing in heaven and earth can stop that, that doesn't free us to just sit around on our hands waiting for God to do the work. The Spirit of God would be the power behind the completion of God's house. But Zerubbabel would still do the work. That's, uh, that's key for us to understand. Verses 8 and 9 say, Also the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Now, remember, God said it wouldn't be by might and it wouldn't be by power that the task would be successful. The Spirit of God would do it. But here God says that the hands of Zerubbabel started this house and God said that it will be his hands that finish it. But when it is finished and Zerubbabel has laid the final stone... Uh, that's how the people will know that God himself has sent the prophecy to come to pass and they will, they will cry grace, grace to it because it's by God's mercy, it's by God's grace that the task has been completed, that the people of God have been reestablished and that, uh, that uh, the house of God has been built. As God's people, we depend on God for power and victory, but but this does not lead us to inaction. That is, that's a ditch so many people fall into. If we rightly understand the purpose and message of God, it will lead us to action. It will assure us of the actions we take. You know, 
even if what we are engaged in seems like a small task to other people, it's an integral part of God's kingdom, and it's accomplishing, it's being accomplished by, by God's Spirit. We can see the same principle in the New Testament, because God is working uh, God's people work. Uh, Philippians two twelve and 13 says, listen to it carefully. It says, so then my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you see uh, the principle here? It says we are to work. Working out our salvation here is not just making sure you're saved. You know, just make sure you're saved. Working out is it's talking about exercising. Exercising your salvation and obedience. Um, look, at, look at the context. It says, it says, I'm going to read the verse again. It says, just as you have always obeyed, and then there's a comma, and then there's a explanatory section, not in my presence only, but you know, also in my absence. So it says, just as just as you have always obeyed, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In the same way that you have always obeyed, you continue to obey. It's talking about obedience, working out your salvation. Exercise that salvation by working it out in obedience. And the reason why you do this, notice why. We are to keep working out our salvation. It says it's because, for, because it is God who is at work in us, willing and working for his good pleasure. You see the principle? We work because God is working, and our assurance is not in our might or our power, but it's in God's work. It's in God's spirit. This is what Zechariah is saying. Zerubbabel's hands will be the instruments that complete God's work, but it will be the spirit of God who works behind Zerubbabel's work to accomplish what Zerubbabel is not strong enough to do. The same principle applies to us as we work out our salvation. God is working in us and our task will ultimately be successful because it is important no matter how small it seems and the Spirit of God is the power by which it is done. Uh, the next verse gives me a lot of hope. It 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 uh, it's connected to the previous promise by the word for. Uh, it is as if God is saying Zerubbabel will finish the task I have set I have set before him um, because. And then it says it says for who has despised the day of small things? Uh, despising the day of small things, we love to despise. The small things. What that means is, you know, we love to look down on the things that we don't see, that we don't think are big enough or grandiose enough or, or making much of an impact. But uh, that's not what God is saying here. God uses even the tiny things. He uses the 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 man who's uh, slaving away for Christ in obscurity and no one ever knows his name. And, and you know, we, we have... Uh, records of the, all those who have done great things and da Daniel and Moses and, and all those in Scripture, but there are a host of people, both back during the days of Moses and even today, that you know whose names you've never heard of. And, and they, they too are building God's kingdom, and they too are being used by the Spirit of God. Even if your ministry's small, and, and all believers, all believers have a ministry of one kind of another. 
you may be faithfully doing your ministry or you may be uh, sinfully rebelling against what God has called you to do, but you have a ministry. Um, it's important to the building of God's house, no matter what it is. Uh, God does not despise the day of small things. Small things are how tasks are accomplished. Think about a huge organization. Uh, each member of the organization plays a role and does a job. Uh, some may think their job is not important, but everything works together to get the big job done. The Christian who is busy edifying a believer who has fallen to depression or despair, that Christian may think that their ministry is not as important as you know the preacher proclaiming God's words to crowds of thousands of people. But it is it's probably more important. I believe that those who uh, are first in heaven will be those who were faithful over the small things. And no one recognized their work in this life. Uh, the, the Bible says that the last will be first and the first will be last. God does not despise your work. Even if you think it's nothing more than more than a small thing, understand that it's it's uh, it's God building His kingdom through you, and that kingdom will be successful. And there's no reason for us to doubt or fear or despair, especially with events going on in the world. You know, suffering may come. I'm not saying that it won't be. There won't be suffering, and there won't be. Uh, hurts and there won't be times of, of despair for us as we have to go through uh, all kinds of things but the 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 goal will be reached the task will be fulfilled then Zechariah then he's shown uh, how the lampstand and olive trees foretell this reality verse 10 says but these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord which range to and fro throughout the earth. The seven eyes of the Lord, I will explain that in a minute, but the seven eyes of the Lord will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. When Zerubbabel hears this message, when he hears the word of the Lord from Zechariah, and he says, you know what, I'm going to take up the, the plumb line was the, the the masonry, carpentry instrument, you know, to, to make sure everything was square. Uh, he says, you know, when, when God sees that line in his hand, when God sees that Zechariah has taken up the task and is going about the work, doing the job that God, he says that, that God is going to be glad. He's going to be glad when he does it. The eyes of the Lord which range to and fro throughout the earth. Uh, the point of this is even if you think your work is insignificant, God does it. Notice here it says that God honors faithfulness to the small things. The seven eyes of God, they represent you know, his perfect knowledge and authority over all things, his dominion. I can show you that from other passages of scripture in the prophets. Uh, but they're glad when they see the plumb line in his hand. The plumb line, I already said, is it's a builder's tool. And, and when God sees that he's taken that up, and is doing the labor of building a house of God, it pleases him. Mankind despises the day of small things, but God does not. He is glad to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. He is glad when you're doing the work of building up the brethren. He's glad when he sees his children faithful in the small things. For, for you know, that's the ones they, they receive no recognition for from man. But your heavenly father sees what you do in secret. Your work before the Lord is, is important. It brings, uh, here in this text, it actually says that it'll be glad. It, it's like it brings a smile to God's face to see you faithful in those small things working.
Uh, okay, okay, but what does all this have to do with the lampstand and the two olive trees, right? That's the vision. Uh, Zechariah wants to know the same thing. He's asking the same questions we're asking. Verses 11 and 12 said, Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right of the lampstand and on its left? And I answered the second time and said to him, What are the two olive branches which are beside the golden pipes which empty the golden oil from themselves? He says, What are these two olive trees doing pouring oil into this deal, feeding the flames of this of this lampstand? So the angel answered again, saying to him, You don't know what these are? And Zechariah says, No, I don't. And the angel says, uh, verse 14 says, Then he said, that was verse 13, by the way. Verse 14 says, Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. Uh, the two olive trees that stand by the lampstand are the two anointed ones, the one God has chosen, set apart, who are standing before the Lord of the whole earth. Who are these people? They are Zerubbabel himself and Joshua, the high priest that we saw in chapter 3, the political leader and the religious leader. The two leaders, the two men uh, who are bringing the work of, uh, uh, of God. The two men who are, are bringing the word of God, or the work of God to the people. They're, they've been chosen to lead the people to finish the task of God. They are to rebuild the house of God and reestablish the holy city. And they're, they're there to, uh, uh, have to, show the, to lead the people to reconnect with their God. If you're, if you're obedient, understand what he's saying here. So he's saying it's not by, it's not by your power. It's not by your strength, but it's by my spirit that these are going to be accomplished. But the spirit is going to accomplish them through the work of these two anointed ones that stand by, uh, pouring the oil into the, into the bowl, which feeds the oil into the, you know, and that whole thing. And so what he's saying is, what he's saying is, Zerubbabel and Joshua cannot lose heart. Um, they cannot lose heart and they cannot fall into inaction. They cannot go lock themselves in their room and saying, you know, the job's too hard. The job will be finished. The job will be completed by God's Spirit. But it doesn't mean that they don't have to work. It doesn't mean they don't have to strive. It doesn't mean that they don't have to pull. Um, if you are an observant student of Scripture, you will notice that this phrase is also used in the New Testament book of Revelation. Uh, John picks up this vision from Zechariah and uses it in his book. Revelation 11.4 says, These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the, before the God of the earth. And so... Uh, this is how John describes the two witnesses of Revelation. Now that you know who the two witnesses are uh, in in Zechariah, it should shed some light on Revelation. I'm not going to go in and and give you a you know a study of Revelation. You you have to be steeped in the Old Testament before you can even begin to understand the symbols that come out of the old testament and if you're if you're all about nuclear bombs and black helicopters that you know that's not much i can help you with anyway but people always ask about the identity of the two witnesses you know movies and books have pictured them as enoch and elijah or the the two supernatural men endowed with power in the end times but but 
if we take the Old Testament background of how John describes them, the answer becomes clear. The two olive trees symbolize the leaders of God's people. They symbolize the king and the priest. Uh, and the New Testament says that believers themselves are kings and priests, kingdom of priests to our God. Zerubbabel and Joshua, the two witnesses, are also said to have the power, and this is in Revelation, the two witnesses are said to have power to shut up the reins of heaven. That's in Revelation 11, verse 6. And they have the power to turn the waters into blood and smite the earth with plagues. Now, does that ring any Old Testament bells in your mind? Those, those miracles, it was Elijah who shut up the reins of heaven in the face of King Ahaz, and it was Moses himself who turned the waters into blood and brought down the plagues on Egypt. So the two olive trees are the two leaders reestablishing God's, God's people, and these two are symbolic of Moses and Elijah, the two, the law and the prophets. You know, you got the quintessential one that, that, uh, that gave the law, the one who gave the law was Moses, and then you have the quintessential example of the prophet, which was Elijah. So who are, the, who are Revelation's two witnesses? The prophetic people of God steeped in the law and the prophets commanding the, the, commanding the world to repent before the day of the Lord. They are the prophetic witnesses to God's dealing with his people. The whole witness of the old, old covenant, you know, which points to the reality of Christ. That's who the witness, that's who the witnesses are. They're, they're, they're God's people, his kings and priests, his kingdom of priests pointing that pointing toward the reality of Christ throughout the law and the prophets. And, of course, if you read Revelation, you know that although they're killed in the street, you know, the people rejoice, to the horror of the world, they will rise and go to be with their God, and, the, and their message of judgment will prove true. But all that aside, that's just, you know, extra, and there's lots of people going to argue with me about that, and I'm really not interested in arguing eschatology, but... Uh, the point of the message to Zerubbabel here is you understand, I understand that you have a task and that task seems more than you can handle and it is more than you can handle. I understand that, you know, right now as you go serving Christ and you're going about in your daily ministry, whatever that may be, and I'm not just talking about ministers you know you go to work at a, if you're an electrician then your ministry is there if you go to school you're in college or something then your ministry is there i'm not talking about professional ministry i'm talking about uh wherever it is that you go that's where you are to be serving christ and sometimes it gets downright depressing it gets it gets downright heartbreaking when uh, when things don't go as planned, maybe you go to witness to somebody and you just get rejected in the worst kind of way and you start thinking, you know what, I'm not doing this right. I'm not cut out for this. I'm not made for this. I'm not a good speaker. I don't have all the answers. I don't. All those things can, can lead you into pulling back from the service God has called you to. But understand that it says, you know, it's not by your might. It's not by your power. It's not by your intelligence. It's not by your ability to speak. It's not by your ability to do anything. It is by God's spirit that it will be accomplished. That should give you assurance today that it does not depend on you. It does not depend on how good you can do or how good you are or how much you know. It depends on God's spirit. Therefore, we know that it will be accomplished. And and so it also it also should say 
should let you know that no matter what it is that you are doing, God does not despise the the day of small things. He is building his kingdom one brick at a time, and he's doing it through his people. There are people who have small, tiny uh, influences in, in, in tasks that God has given to them. They think that they're tiny and insignificant, but just because they're smaller than somebody else's does not make them insignificant. What God spoke to me through this passage uh, as I was uh, as I was studying through it, was he he told me uh, you, know, what, you know this is what he laid on my heart. You just worry about your brick. You know the the temple of God, the house of God, the kingdom of God is being built by the people of God by the Spirit. You, but you know you're not you're not the master architect of that temple. God, I am. That's what God was saying. You're not the you're not the one laying the plans out on the table and telling this guy where he needs to go and that. You're not the architect of this building. You just worry about your brick. Here is your brick. This is where I want you to put your brick. You just worry about that one thing and you get that task done and you will be successful in the sight of God and doing what he says that we must do.